There's nothing better for your health than good sleep. That's why Haverty's Furniture has partnered with the Scott Brothers to offer Scott Living Mattresses, now $250 off. Expect no pressure, just support from the Haverty's Sleep Experts. Tap now or visit Haverty's.com. Broadcasting live from the 2018 RMA International Conference at the Aria Resort in Las Vegas. It's time now for a special episode of Capital Club Radio. Broadcasting on the Pro Business Channel and across 16 syndication networks. This show made possible in part by Flock Specialty Finance. For more info, visit flockfinance.com. And now, here's your host, Chairman and CEO of Flock Specialty Finance, Michael Flock. Thank you, and we're really excited this afternoon to welcome Chris Hogg, owner of SRA Associates, a consumer debt collection agency, and Broad Street, a debt buyer. He is also chairman of a startup insurance agency, Agency Bonding Captives, an underwriting surety guarantee and contract bonding business in the U.S. But what's surprising is that Chris is from Australia. How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety? Like Boar's Head Oven Gold Turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices and then slow-roasted until it's fork-tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little bread would do. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Actually, he was born in New Zealand, but worked and lived in Australia for several years where he started his career in international insurance in 1975. In 1990, Chris acquired and grew one of Australia's largest equipment leasing and consumer finance businesses, Equico, culminating in its listing on the Australian Stock Exchange in 2000. Wow. In 2001, he became CEO of then Australia's largest privately owned debt collection agency. In 2006, he joined the board of UK-based Marlin Financial Group, a startup in consumer debt collection, and he oversaw the growth of that business until its sale in 2013. From 2009 to 13, he also led an investment group to acquire Mint Corporation, a Canadian company in payroll processing. And he acted as executive chairman there until 2013. Since then, he has acquired another payroll processing company, a consumer finance business, and a distressed debt business. In addition, he recently acquired, as many of you know, SRA Associates, a consumer collection agency in New Jersey, and NSA, the North Shore Agency, a letter shop. And he then launched Broad Street LLC, a debt buying company as well. Chris, that's quite a list of accomplishments of companies led and owned. Wow, I mean, we, we're not going to have time today to go through everyone, but this resume is incredible. You've been all over the world. You were born in New Zealand, lived in Australia, commuted to the U.K. Now you're in U.S. You've lived in Philadelphia, I think you said, 14 years, you know, the home of now of the Super Bowl winners, the Eagles. And I think you said you, you and your wife have missed only what three games and yeah we're 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 very big eagles fans and uh, michael thank you for having me i'm looking forward to this 
So anyway, but what motivated you to to start or own or or manage all these international businesses? Was there something in your upbringing, your education that drove you to do this, or was it just ser- serendipity? What it was a little bit serendipitous. I mean, I left um, I left high school. I went to an all boys school in Sydney, and in 1975, I left school having graduated to do. Um, to do law, um, which is an undergraduate degree, in fact, in, in uh-huh. Australia. And my dad, who'd been in the insurance industry all his life, in fact, was Australia's uh, leading M&A advisor to the insurance industry. Okay. Uh, got me a job as a photocopy kid at the age of 17 and a half, working for a, a Lloyd's insurance agency. And um, just for the three months before college started, uh, long story short, um, I never went to college. Uh, by the time I was 23, I was on the board of that company. Um, it was a publicly listed company uh, out of London uh, on the London Stock Exchange. And uh, I found myself in 1981, um, you know, working in Lloyd's. And, and I think, you know, that first adventure of, uh, of being in big business, travelling overseas at a very young age, you know, sort of got me started. Um, and I spent the next 12 years working for that company. Um, and, then, and then the rest of the career kicked off. That's incredible. So you started as a photocopy boy. Yeah, photocopy kid. And the, the, the CEO at the time um, said to me, look, Chris, I think you're quite suited to business. I think you should put that law degree off for 12 months, which uh, we were able to do, uh, taking a gap year, as it's called, uh-huh. in Australia and uh, also in the UK. Um, it's quite a common thing for kids to do. I was the youngest in my class. I, I graduated high school at barely the age of 17. So for me, taking a year off uh, was pretty cool. Um, but as soon as I, uh, I got into business and as soon as I started uh, earning a salary, um, the idea of staying in business looked a heck of a lot more attractive than, than, uh, than going, to, going to university. So I put it off for another year and another year and another year and, hey, never ended so up So there was doing, no gap? There was no gap. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in my 40th year of that gap. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, so there's still a chance you might go Yeah, there's still a chance, actually. I, I might even end up, you know, doing some classes one day. Uh-huh. What were, what were some of the common denominators then? I mean, all these different businesses that you've either run or owned over the years, what? I mean, I know insurance, and then you said your dad was in M&A, and what? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think um, the way that I've always approached um, any of the businesses that I've been in or, or started or built um, it, it's all been focused around growth. You know, I'm I'm really right. a business development guy. Okay. Um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a good person to have on your team if you want to build or grow something. Okay. If you want me to manage a company, yeah. not 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 for me. Okay. But if you want to take something that's small and you want to take some risks, and you want somebody that's going to be energetic and capable of of, of developing a business. Um, and, and networking that business and, and growing its base, then I think that's probably the common theme. Okay. Having said that, I've always been in financial services. Okay. Um, whether it's insurance or consumer finance or, or debt collection or debt buying or, um, or the experience I had in building a payroll and payment processing business mm-hmm. in, the Middle East of, in the Middle East of all places, which we can talk about briefly, um, the, the one common theme was, uh, it, was it was mainly consumer-focused and it was – always in, in, in a range of financial services. Okay. What's interesting, though, Chris, is you may say that you 
your strength is business development, not management, but you, you've, you've managed some large companies. So do you have to surround yourself then by people that really like the more of the day-to-day nuts and bolts uh, of management? Because like running the largest consumer agency in Australia, it's more than business development. So how, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, this is you've you've heard this saying before. So I'm not the the one to take the credit for it. But uh, you know, I would say always employ people that are smarter than you, and you'll do well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't we don't have any egos in our business. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you look at our Broad Street platform today, where in fact beyond SRA we own four agencies now. Um, you know, all of the management teams of those those businesses, the existing management teams of those businesses have stayed on with us and are running those businesses day to day. And I would say that's the same for our payment processing business um, in Dubai. It's the same for our insurance business today. Strong management teams, which I lead, but um, it's, it's really down to those guys. So surrounding yourself with great people, um, that's the key. And so when you buy these companies, and you must spend a lot of time interviewing, you know, looking into the backgrounds of these people, getting to know them. Um, do you have some, are there some common traits to these people that you, you like or dislike? Um, you know, obviously, when you're buying businesses, um, you're taking a lot of risk. Um, you know, if I look back over the last 25 or 30 years, I, I can't imagine how much money we've either borrowed or, or had invested, but it's certainly more than $100 million dollars. And when you're dealing with um, capital partners, you know, they're relying very heavily on, on, on my ability and my team's ability to be able to assess the strengths of management teams mm-hmm. um, and, and also assess the, um, the opportunity. Um, because, you know, primarily in uh, market economic conditions that we're in now, very low interest rates, a lot of available capital... Um, what's important is to ensure that if you are going to use leverage in your business, which is, um, in my history, my clear preference, um, you've got to make sure that you've done enough due diligence to know that the underlying assets are there and that they're capable of, of being managed and grown. So to answer your question sort of more directly, uh, due diligence is really important. And I have a team mm-hmm. uh, behind me at Broad Street that just supports me in that process itself strictly due diligence strictly due diligence model modeling financial analysis um, you know looking at the um, the legal issues we have a very strong um, a firm of attorneys that support us okay um, and we have various capital partners that also you know obviously do their own level of due diligence right so it's legal financial operational and then management it helps you with the management and then it's management i mean i think and just being you know very transparent and being very um encouraging and i also think that providing incentive Uh for management um is is very important i mean so often we've seen you know not only in the collections industry but in others that um you know mergers and acquisitions are just a fact of life right but as the big gobble up the, the, the small, you know, what tends to happen once one gets to um, an appropriate scale is that, you know, people start falling away, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to drive more economies, trying to, you know, drive more, um, more profit out of a business. You know, I would have to say that that has not been a feature of what we've done over the years. Um, we've tried to grow the top line as a priority rather than shrinking mm-hmm. the, the, the expense line. Um, 
and you know, with some success. When you're an entrepreneur, you know, you have your wins and your losses. Right. As long as you've got more wins than losses, then you've had a reasonably successful career. Right. So you have had a few losses? Yeah. I mean, I would say losses that were, um, you know, in, in, in two particular instances, um, more market-driven than, okay. than, than business failures. Um, but... You know, if I go back to 1975 and here we are in 2018, you know, we've had, I've lived through probably, well, certainly three economic crises that I can recall globally. Okay. 87, um, 2000, and, and of course, 2008, uh, 9. Um, having said that, you know, 87 was um, a, a very, very se- severe downturn in the market. Um, but I emerged out of that in 1991 and, and, and bought, my consumer finance business, Equico, right. you know, which I paid $1 for. Oh, um, and one and, and I literally dollar. handed over a dollar coin to, to the seller, who was a guy I knew from school. Um, and, you know, nine years later, I IPO'd that on the Australian Stock Exchange with a market capitalization of $65 million. And that was, that was on the 31st of March um, 2000. And for those of you who remember the stock market crash in 2000, mm-hmm. which was the famous bursting of the internet bubble. Right. Um, so I listed in March 31st, and the market fell out of bed on April the 17th. And um, as my wife said, we had two relatively good weeks as a public company. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. That's quite a roller coaster, but but those are economic cycles, right? And uh, you know they are economic cycles. And I mentioned um, two thousand and 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 that roller coaster because, frankly, following that um, is what led me led me into the de- debt collection industry. Okay, um, and that was my first foray into collections in Sydney. So did you have a few sleepless nights over these last few decades then? Um, and, and were the sleepless nights, if you had them, due primarily to economic forces? Or did you also have just some business issues that related to the growth or lack of? Yeah, I mean, I think you always have some sleepless nights. I, I think, to be frank, I have less than, than most people. Um, and I think that comes down to, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, two factors. I think firstly, you know, you, you, you need to know your subject and you need to understand the business that you're in and you need to have a very good um, almost intuition for the business that you're in. Okay. And if you do have that, then the uncertainties or the concerns or the worries of that business don't tend to, to you know, come to the surface because you know what you're doing and mm-hmm. you know that a lot of that is in, in, in your control. I think the other um, important factor, um, for me anyway, and I know this sounds a little trite, but for me it's never been about the money. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was about the money, um, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd, I'd be in my beach house in the Bahamas or mm-hmm. on my boat. Um, it's never really been about the money. And I, I know that is a little trite to say that because a lot of people say it's always about the money. Yeah. Um, so what's but, it about if it's not the money? It's, it's, about, it's, it's, it's about creating something. It's about building something. It's about the, 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 um, the success of taking something from nothing and, and, and turning it into something. And from $1 to $65 million. From $1 million. to $65 million or yeah. from you know, a, a very small startup um, here only 15 months ago, and now we own four agencies and, right. a, and, a, and a finance company. 
And, you know, uh, I think over the years, if I look back, um, I could have made some decisions that would have actually made me a lot more money. Mm -hmm. But it probably wouldn't have been as gratifying to me as building a business and creating jobs and Mm -hmm. creating futures for people. So that's the driver. That's the driver. Building a business, creating something, as opposed to just doing a transaction. Yeah, look, um, I represented Australia at Blackjack. Um, (laughs) And uh, Whoa. uh, You know, which somebody asked me downstairs, because it's ironic, we're at a conference at a casino. Um, And um, that's sort of one of the more sort of quirky um, parts of my resume, which you don't read. Um, so I'm, I'm fairly strong um, mathematically. Um, and, and, and for me, it, that was always more about the challenge of winning, the challenge of, of um, you know, beating the odds, not necessarily placing the bet. And mm-hmm. I think that's got a lot to be said about my career as well. So it's the process. It's the process. Yeah, that gives you pleasure. and gives, yeah. It's very fulfilling and uh, Happens to make money. Well, you know, as I, but, as I said, if it was about the money, I'd probably be a professional gambler. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also turning around things, right? Because Equico, if you, if you paid a dollar for it, then it must have been pretty bad shape. So it was business development, but it also isn't it a turnaround that you were doing there? Yeah, I mean, it was a turnaround. Um, it, was a, it was a business that was founded in 1976. So when I picked it up in 91, it had... It had been a relatively successful business. Um, and I think if you look at the, the collections business that we bought in Sydney uh-huh. in 2001, um, it, had, it had been around since 1966 mm-hmm. and, in fact, was Australia's first collection agency um, when um, credit cards first hit the market. And for, the, for anybody in the room or on this podcast that's over the age of 50, you'll remember the Diners Club Mm-hmm. Um, globally, it was kind of the first piece of plastic that most of us owned uh, back in the day. And then there was Bank of America card, and then of course, right. it is what it is today. And so, you know, there was another business that had, that was some um, 35 years old by the time that um, that I got involved in it. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't like to say turnaround is a is a feature of of my career because that is a different skill set yeah. and also more management focused. I think it's taking existing platforms and growing them. Okay. Okay. Now, speaking of that, you know, let's fast forward to SRA and, you know, NSA. Well, you said you have four agencies. What are those four agencies, then, that make up the current platform here? Well, let me talk about three of them because the fourth um, is actually under contract at the moment. Oh, so, okay. All right. Um, when I'm able, which will be in a couple of weeks' time, I'll tell you all about that. Um, but the three agencies we own today uh, is SRA Associates, which right. is um, based in uh, New Jersey, and High Nella, which is just outside Voorhees a 23-year-old agency that specializes in auto deficiency uh, debt collection. It's a contingency shop, um, a very successful business uh, run by two very successful um, entrepreneurs who who were the founders of the business, and they are still today the CEO and COO, John Chiara and and Jim Dider. Um, NSA, North Shore Agency, um, again, a a business that's been around 15-plus years, started by Kevin Goodman's father, and Kevin mm-hmm. then uh, took the business over and sold the business to us recently, and Kevin remains as the CEO. And that's a letter shop. And thirdly, um, we, we, we just acquired an agency in New Jersey called Capital Collections, which is in the health um, healthcare uh, sector of debt collection, has a number of hospital systems where we do um, medical debt collection. 
you know, on top of that, we've started a, a, a debt buying business, Broad Street Asset Management, uh, which um, Michael Chiodo heads up, who um, seems to know everybody at this conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just bought our first two portfolios um, uh, with our capital partner. And then on top of that, um, we, we we acquired recently a auto title loan business. Right. Um, really through acquiring a distressed portfolio of receivables and then taking a look, taking a good hard look at that business and deciding that uh, not only was it a good business to be in, but we should we should actually resurrect that business and grow it. And what was the name of that company? That was a business called City Loans. City um, Loans. Today okay. it's it's known as Broad Street Auto Loans. Uh, we're based in Long Beach, California, mm-hmm. and uh, over the rest of this year, you'll be hearing much more of that business. And that's a that's a really interesting um, opportunity for us because we've taken what was essentially a distressed portfolio of receivables in a business that was clearly on the down. Um, not only are collecting out the assets, but have decided to go back into the lending business. Mm-hmm. I don't think there'd be too many collection agencies in the United States that decided to go into the lending side, right. having bought a portfolio of assets. So hopefully that works out for us. Uh huh. Now, are you funding all the purchases yourself, or are you leveraging it with uh, bank Yeah, capital? well, I, I guess, as I said before, if you look back over the last 40 years, leverage has been our friend uh, right. in just about everything we do. So, yeah, we have, we have a number of capital partners, um, the identity of which should probably remain reasonably confidential. Um, but, you know, credit funds based on the West Coast and New York, um, you know, good, strong partners that are also able to assess opportunity alongside us. Mm-hmm. So what is your vision for all these companies and how are you going to tie them all together, uh, Chris? I mean, there's some obvious synergies, but yeah, can you I mean, expand the, on that? The, the vision for the Broad Street, um, you know, collections platform is to homogenize, if one of my favorite words, um, those businesses um, slowly and carefully looking to perhaps extract some economies of scale um, in fairly obvious areas such as banking and accounting and back office and HR um, onto a single platform. Um, but the real strategy in putting together those agencies is not to build a collection platform per se, mm-hmm. but to build our own servicing platform to, to service debt that we want to acquire over the next three years. So Broad Street Asset Management, our, our debt buying entity, um, you know, I describe as an active debt buyer as opposed to a passive debt buyer in that we will only look at portfolios um, that we can collect ourselves, that we have, you know, a deep collection experience in within the servicing platform that we've built. You won't find us buying a portfolio of loans that are a, an asset class that we don't have experience in. So you don't believe in outsourcing? Don't believe in outsourcing okay. at all. Why? I think in you know I, I think there's been a lot of examples over the last ten years of of where outsourcing works to a point. Yep. Um, I think the whole outsourced call or contact center experiment with with india you know ended up failing in mm-hmm. the end um, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the banks would tell you that um, i believe in in strongly believe in customer service and communication and i think as soon as you give customer contact away to someone else you you, you effectively lose control of your core asset which is 
which is something that, particularly in the collections business, it's a high-touch business, um, and you need to stay very close to your consumer. And so we'll, we'll always do that internally. I got it. So it's control of the consumer relationship that is a priority to you. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And so uh, to, to make sure we, we uh, understand this, and so the purpose of a lot of these agencies is to to serve as a uh, collection agency for your debt buying business, not necessarily to go find just additional contingency business per se. Is that right? I think, you know, we're, we're going to grow, grow both, but, but I think to use a specific example, I mean, SRA is, is one of the country's leading um, collection agencies in the area of auto right. deficiencies. Right. You know, our, our major clients are Hyundai, Toyota, GM, Harley-Davidson um, and banks. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we have a, um, you know, a deep um, record of experience in collecting what is very, very difficult debt. Yep. You know, we're yep. collecting post-repossession. Correct. Um, and, and so as we look at portfolios to buy, it's logical that we would lean mm-hmm. towards auto right. and auto deficiencies because right. that's a, a center of excellence right. for us. Um, in North Shore, we're very strong in, in small balance collections, yep. collecting sums that are less than $250. It's not for everybody, mm-hmm. but we do it very, very well. Um, mm-hmm. And we just picked up a major city uh, parking authority. And when you're collecting on parking violations at $86 a time, trust me, you've got to know what you're doing to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you anticipate then these issuer relationships uh, will also help you then in buying the debt? that you are currently servicing at SRA? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think those issuer relationships that we have a contingency contract right. with, right. in the event that they choose to sell debt, right. we're very well positioned to be the best party to buy it. Right. Because, you know, as, as we well know, um, over the last four or five years, um, you know, compliance and regulatory oversight right. has, um, has been the, 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 the elephant in the room. And I think if you're a large issuer or you're a major corporation and you're selling debt, you're going to take a lot more comfort mm-hmm. in selling that debt mm-hmm. to an organization that you've had a 10 or 15-year relationship with right. on the agency side. Right. Because I guess just like you, those uh, issuers want to make sure that they're protecting and controlling the consumer experience as well. As well. And if you think of um, you know, a number of the larger clients that we have across the platform, you know, they have very, very strong national and international brands Mm -hmm. and you know brand protection if you're toyota is very very important to you Mm -hmm. so we take that part of our collection um activity very very seriously Um, and i'm pleased to say that we have as measured by a number of our larger clients the lowest customer complaint record Mm -hmm. of any of the agencies that they deal with in this country Mm -hmm. that's terrific yeah now, as a as a foreigner, uh, I, did you find barriers to entry in in buying any of these businesses, and and how did you find them? You know, as a foreigner, it's it's interesting you say that. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a passport holder or, or a permanent resident um, of on four different continents. <laughs> so, so you I'm, don't consider yourself a foreigner. Well, I've always kind of considered myself as a as a foreigner wherever I've been. Um, uh-huh. You know, I grew up in little old New Zealand and moved to Australia at the age of eight. So you were a foreigner. I was a foreigner from a very <laughs> early age. Um, 
And um, I think to a large extent, that's been one of the keys to um, my success and the keys to the success of the businesses that I've been involved in because Mm -hmm. I've been able to take a very broad, very, you know, international... Broad, like Broad Street. Like Broad Street, um, (laughs) like the name. Yeah. Um, You know, I've been able to take a very very sort of um, geopolitical and geoeconomic view of business Uh rather than... Um, being constrained by pe- perhaps growing up in a single market, right, right. And only knowing that, okay, um, and I think that 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 leads to sort of looking for other opportunities um, a right. lot easily, a lot more easily for me. So, by definition, then you're saying you can kind of think quote outside the box because geopolitically you're kind of neutral. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So that gives you more freedom to strategize and look for opportunities. And now, do you, do you uh, when you start these businesses and you build them, do you also have an exit strategy in mind? You know, um, over the years, uh, in dealing with capital partners and, and private equity and, 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 uh, and credit funds, I don't think I've ever been in a, in a presentation where somebody hasn't asked me what's the exit strategy. And I say the same thing every single time. I've never had an exit strategy. I think if you know how to get out of something before you're even getting into it, then you're constraining, you know, the extent to which that business can grow. I've always said the exit will find you. Uh-huh. You won't find the that, exit. That's a great quote. The exit will find you. You won't find the exit. Um, and that's been, you know, pretty well, much the case over the years. Well, this is actually very consistent, Chris, because at the beginning of our conversation, you said this isn't about the money. Right. This is not about the money. It's creating and building a business and the pleasure and fulfillment that you get along the way, along that journey. So if you started thinking about the exit, you wouldn't be. Then, built- it, would, then it would be all about the money. You, you would if you were thinking about an exit and saying, you know what I mean? You know, when this business gets to uh, 50 million dollars in value, I'm going to start looking for a buyer. Right. You know, I have never, ever said that in my career. Uh-huh. Um, and again, I would emphasize, had it been about the money, I think I could have had a couple of pretty successful exits over the years yeah, um, and have not. But, uh, yeah, it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. So it's not the transaction. It's not the transaction. It's the journey. That's yep. wonderful. <laughs> that, that's terrific. Um, just wrapping it up here then. So what's your outlook in, in the years ahead here for both your, you and your companies as well as the market in collections and debt buying? You know, I think that um, debt collection uh, and recovery services um, has and always will be a permanent part of the specialty financial services sector. I think debt buying comes and goes, mm-hmm. um, and that tends to be driven by um, both economic and political environment. And I think we're in a very positive cycle for debt buying over the next two to three years. Um, I think since the new administration, it is clear that there are more opportunities now to um, for the, the larger issuers to begin to sell debt, which, of course, they haven't done mm-hmm. um, um, for some uh, period now. So I think debt buying's on the upswing. I think collections and rec- collection and recovery services is always a very competitive, mm-hmm. very commission-driven, contingency-based business. Um, but if you buy well and you've got good people, I think you'll make money. And so for me, um, I'll be 60 in April. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my American friends laugh at me because my birthday is 420, which seems to have um, different meanings in, in places like California and Colorado, National Marijuana Day. 
But, uh, <laughs> I didn't know what it was. Yeah, but on, uh, but on afraid uh, to ask. 420, uh, 2018. 420 National Marijuana Day. Okay. There we are. I'll be 60. But um, So, yeah, no exit in mind. But I think well, you get got, high on building a business. I get right? high on building a business. And I think we've got... Um, a it's intoxicating. It's right? intoxicating. I think we've got a good three to five years in front of us. Wow, that's wonderful. Do you think we're, um, though, entering a bubble perhaps? Because, you know, and the market has dropped, what, over a thousand points? Uh, do, do you think that's significant? No, I don't. I don't okay. think it's significant at all. But for a different reason. Um, I think, unfortunately, um, investors in this country focus too much on a stock index that's made up of 30 companies. Mm -hmm. It has Mm -hmm. absolutely, in my view, very little to do with the biggest business in this country, which is small business and and, and the consumer. And I think for as long as the American consumer mm-hmm. continues to buy and, and, and grow and as long as unemployment stays low and we can keep a lid on interest rates, this economy's got a long way to go. Wow. So it is not a leading indicator of economic... I don't believe so. That's wonderful. I think okay. it's, a, it's a terrific shell game for the investment banks to make a ton of money, but <laughs> it's got nothing to do with what's really going on in the real world. Uh-huh. Well, Chris, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Do you have any final kind of words of wisdom or lessons learned for our listeners here today? No, I think, um, you know, thank you for having me. It's been uh, it's been a very interesting uh, 30 minutes. Um, words of wisdom, I think uh, the more you don't make it about the money, the more personal satisfaction you'll have in running your business. Uh-huh. And then the money comes? And then the money comes. Uh-huh. When you're not looking for it. When you're not looking for it and when you're not looking for that exit, the exit will find you. Wow. Well... Chris, thank you so much for sharing the snapshot today of how you're building a, you know, a wide consortium of businesses in consumer finance, uh, debt buying, debt collections, and insurance. It's really a fascinating tale of how you know, a successful Australian entrepreneur is, is now replicating his success you know, from the past here in the U.S. Uh, going forward. And I'm sure we're going to be hearing much more about uh, Chris Hogg, uh, SRA, LS, uh, NSA, and all these other businesses that you're putting together to set new records here for uh, for us in the United States in debt buying. And well, thanks, Michael, and God bless America and go Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. We want to thank you for listening to this special episode of Capital Club Radio with your host, Michael Flock, and his guest, live from the 2018 RMA International Conference at the Aria Resort in Las Vegas. Made possible in part by Flock Specialty Finance, more than a transaction. For more info, visit flockfinance.com. To listen to a rebroadcast and more episodes, visit capitalclubradio.com. Guys, are you still looking for a great Valentine's Day gift for your wife or girlfriend? Then treat her to the very best this year with the world's softest pajamas from Pajamagram, America's PJ experts for over 15 years. The world's softest pajamas are lighter than a cloud and softer than a bunny. They're like cashmere, only better. She'll love the way they feel, the softness, warmth, and comfort. And you'll love the way they look. Best of all, you don't have to wrap because every Pajamagram includes free gift packaging and delivery by Valentine's Day is guaranteed. Plus, they're backed by a 100% lifetime guarantee, so you risk nothing. Thousands of men just like you have made their loved ones happy with the world's softest pajamas. You can too, but you need to get these amazing PJs today because they normally sell out. 
So here's what you do. It's easy. Go to pajamagram.com right now or call 1-800-GIVE-PJs. That's pajamagram.com. Hey, you. Are you ready? Grab your pack, grab your tent, grab your gear. Jump in. We're going on an adventure. In Arizona, there's so much to see, so much to experience. At GCU, adventure is never too far away. Offering over 200 academic programs with a Christian worldview and nestled in the heart of Phoenix, you can earn your degree in fewer than four years and explore everything Arizona has to offer. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash azroadtrip.